Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you didn't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And today I have my guest, co-host and media consultant, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Hey, John. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. We also have circulation director of the Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? How are you doing, John? It's good to be here. Glad to have you. And we also have our Herald intern, Suhana Sinhan. How are you doing today, Suhana? I'm doing fantastic, John. Thanks for having me today. Yep, no problem. And we have our special guest, Celine Holmes, the Multicultural Outreach Manager at Alzheimer's Association Cincinnati. How are you doing today, Celine? I'm fine. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, no problem. And before we head into our main topic, let's go over some of the top news topics of the week. Actor Michael K. Williams has died at the age of 54. The New York City Police Department told the Associated Press that Williams was found dead Monday afternoon at his apartment in Brooklyn. Authorities are investigating his death as a possible drug overdose, the AP reported. Williams received a 2021 Emmy nomination as Montrose Freeman in HBO's Lovecraft Country. The actor was also known for his other HBO roles in The Wire as Omar Little and Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire. Andrea, what are your thoughts on this uh, this story? I think it's sad that um, he died of a drug overdose, but you know, it seems like all of the great actors who have had um, some uh, memorable roles die tragically, it seems like in the last 20 years or so. That seems to be the way this happened. And I think it's just sad that, oh no, I should say, I think it was fantastic the outpouring of love the world showed him for his immense talent, especially on The Wire. And then the job, the good job that he did on Lovecraft Country. I mean, that was a standing role of what he did. So I'm sorry to see that he died the way he did, but you know, it's, it's, just, a, it's just such a tragic. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Unfortunately, I, I don't keep up to date with the current actors and, and things like that. So I don't know a whole lot about him, but I did do a little research and he was a highly acclaimed and respected actor. Uh, he has several Emmy nominations and uh, I think everybody uh, was really, Sad to hear of his passing. I understand that uh, Barack Obama called him his favorite artist. And uh, I think a lot of people felt the same way. But again, for me, I don't know a whole lot about him. I do not watch a lot of the updated stuff on HBO, cable, and all that. So unfortunately, I missed out on, on, on the type of actor and, and person that he was. But so sorry and sad for, the, uh, for his family and all. And like uh, Ms. Carter said, uh, the being that it was an overdose, it just hits home harder. Uh, when you think of uh, celebrity overdosing and everything, the thing comes to mind immediately is Michael Jackson and Prince. So sorry to see him go, uh, but I understand he was a very, very good actor. Suhana, your thoughts on this topic? John, um, I didn't know much of Michael K. Williams' movies or that uh, on the top of my head, but uh, what that and also, I didn't know how the circumstances of his passing. My deepest condolences to his family and his fans who are who are deeply affected by his loss. But at the same time, uh, one fantastic thing that happened um, with the legacy of Michael is 
that uh, now that uh, I hope people don't just remember him because of the way he has passed away, but the things he has done while he was alive. Very, very recently now, New York has uh, has decided to introduce a justice reform bill on his name. And for a very, very long time, uh, Michael K. Williams has worked uh, to help youths in New York City with, uh, in the cases of re he was an ambassador for ending mass incarceration. Uh, and uh, he, as his own family was involved in violence and this uh, whole system of justice, he had so many, uh, he had invested a lot in this, in, in the foundations and lives of people. And now that he's gone New York, justice reform system has decided to um, honor his legacy. So I think, um, I don't know how, how much he will be remembered as an actor, and I'm sure he will leave deep impacts and love in the hearts of people who have loved his performances. But uh, beyond that, he has also left a great impact in lives of millions of youths who live in the shade of New York City and the city might become a little more safer for them. Yeah, and also I want to add, while I've never watched The Wire, I have watched several of his shows before. Like he was on Boardwalk Empire. He was great in that. Uh, he was in When They See Us. And he's just, um, he was also in The Night Of. And he was just a very terrific actor, very good character actor. And even if the movie or TV show was just average, he always managed to um, elevate the material he was given. So it's a shame the great actor is gone too soon. And moving on, a towering statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee in Richmond, Virginia has finally been taken down. The removal comes more than 130 years after the monument was erected to honor the South's top military commander in the Civil War. Richmond was the capital of the Confederacy for much of the Civil War, and the Lee statue has become an epicenter of protests last year against police brutality and racism. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I was very excited when I saw the, um, I, I watched some of the stream, the video. I should say, watched some of the stream of the, um, of the, the removal of the statue and watching the people um, taking pictures and listening to what they were saying. And the people were shouting in the background about, you know, this is a travesty and other people celebrating that it was being removed. And I could understand their jubilation because when I worked as a crime reporter in Shreveport, Louisiana for a newspaper, um, my beat was the court system. And there was a statue with the Confederate flag flying in front of the courthouse all the time. And, you know, everyone didn't seem bothered by this, but I was. And instead of going in the front, I always walked in the back of the courthouse because I didn't feel like being insulted going to work every single day. So I could understand where the, the people were jubilant when this statue was removed because I understand the history of what he did. I understand the significance, but there's a time and place for everything that eventually you have to say, what is important to the future of the people? And what is, in, what is important to history? Is it this attitude about people or is it a new attitude of accepting all? And I think it's significant that shows the growth of the heart of, um, 
what was the Confederate, the center of the Confederacy to show that there, there, the, there's been a change of attitude. And I think it's wonderful. Wade, your thoughts on this story? It's like, isn't it about time? <laughs> so uh, it was it was something that never should have happened in the first place. It was erected back in 1890. He surrendered back in 1865. He died in 1870. But he also was the symbol of the Confederacy post the war. He was the face of the uh, lost the lost cause, as they call it. And they romanticized the the war and and the, the way that they lived back in back in that time. So uh, it, it not only was it about time, it, it never should have been erected in the first place. When you have a war or a uh, problem or a situation like that, you always cut it off at the head and get rid of the problem. And uh, when the war ended, after, right after the war and everything, they let all the stuff fester and build these monuments and statues and everything. And they were all over the South and everything. Uh, so they glorified it even though they had lost. And uh, if they had not let that happen, then so much of the problems that we have now would not exist. Because they let that stuff go on for a whole hundred plus years. And uh, it was okay. Like Ms. Carter said, they had the flag flying all these years and nobody thought anything about it. So uh, same thing with that flag they always bring out anytime they want to do anything racist or anything, they bring that one flag out and everybody uh, join in and everything. And they, whether it's racist or sexist or whatever, they love that flag. But again, if you got a problem, something, and you defeat somebody or whatever, you, you cut, it, cut it off at the head, get rid of the problem altogether, and, and, and things will, will be a much easier going forward. Uh, Suhana, your thoughts on this story? John, often, you know, I recently had a discussion with a friend and we um, and we were talking about uh, how how we understand somebody has created a legacy or their legends and uh, how to understand that somebody has done a great job or not and uh, should we forget like like what do we consider as legend or we just you know make people legend unnecessarily it was a long argument but uh, a sentiment that lingers from that argument very well applies here. What I feel is that uh, when the circum when the statue was put on the ground, this it probably um, catered to the sentiments of people who at a majority felt that this was the best thing to do. And now that times have changed, perspectives have changed, people's way of processing sentiments have changed. And there are so many things we are okay and not okay with. And uh, I feel with one must change with the coming times and surrender to the needs of the current population's emotional needs because um, I, I don't think anybody deserves to walk in the life feeling extremely disrespected. And we have had a lot of history of disrespecting people without a second thought. We still have a lot of history happening getting made every single day in many parts of the world where people's dignity and existence is not respected enough. But at least there are so many of us who are not okay about a person not being treated like a person anymore. I don't, like on a very, very realistic note, 
the statue has right now not got, has not committed a felony at this current moment. So people should not have any grudge against the statue, but people don't like the statue for what it represents. And what it represents is a very dark sentiment. And somebody like Andrea, somebody who walks, sees uh, um, symbols like this on the regular basis of life should not feel hopeless at least standing in 21st century America. And moving on to our next topic, 13 unvaccinated school employees in Miami-Dade County have died from COVID-19 in the past three weeks. According to the United Teachers of Dade, the employees did not contract the virus at school. According to CNN, four were teachers, one was a security monitor, one worked in a cafeteria, and seven drove buses. According to USA Today, all of them who died were Black. Andrea, your thoughts on this uh, very sad story. It's shocking to know how many people, especially associated with the school district, has died. And, you know, it, it, I, I, when I heard this story, I didn't know um, that they were all Black. We need to do more to educate our community about getting vaccinated. I had a conversation with someone last week how they were railing against why um, they didn't want to get the shot, how it was against their rights and um, how the vaccine is poison. And, you know, nurses have seen the side effects and we're going to lose nurses and, you know, just giving all kinds of excuses to make them feel comfortable about why they don't want to get the shot. And I think at the end of the day, it's sad that it's something that is simple of a prick of a needle can save your life. And I don't know what their circumstances were. Um, they didn't get it to catch at school. So that means they caught it in their environment of whatever they were doing. So many people are waiting for the second round or the best way and the, this and that. I think at the end of the day, it's a best example of why you need to get the vaccine. It won't stop you getting the virus per se, but at least you won't go to the hospital and suffer the extreme of the disease instead of just getting through something that's simple, uh, the simple effects of the disease. I mean, I'm not trying to poo-poo it or anything like that, but I, I think it's just, it wounds me every single time I hear this because knowing that a life could have been saved if they just done one simple thing. Everyone just go get the shot. Uh, Suhana, your thoughts on this story? Drunk people who are hearing me, to them, um, vaccines historically for hundreds and hundreds of years have helped solve, resolve a lot, lot of diseases that have eradicated almost half of the population from small po smallpox, almost become something like smallpox becoming almost non-existent. Very recently, years ago, we had Come, uh, we have come up with very low numbers of polio because of the vaccines that are available to children at birth. I will not try to comply you and force you to see through my way that please, it's right for you, it's healthy for you. You, you must not believe me. If, that's a stat if the statistics is what you're going for to support your arguments and your faith in not, or your lack of faith in the vaccine, then I must suggest that people go through and look up the history of the diseases that have hurled this world's population and how 
this number of few vaccines that have come up in this year have helped these cases immensely. So for the sake of that, I understand there have also been many cases where medicine has been used unethically. But we, uh, we, if you have heard our previous stories, we live in a time, we are living in a circumstance where people are not even tolerating even tiniest symbols that evoke hate or harm in people in any form. So living in under that kind of environment, I really we feel that people should use their research and try having some faith in the in the success of this vaccine because earlier in medieval times earlier in few hundreds of years the condition of hygiene was extremely poor and that hurted a person's mortality rate greatly but uh, now now when the conditions of hygiene and living standards have improved for many it is still bad for many many people and the the nature of this current virus, COVID-19, that we are facing is very, very lethal. It is very ad well adapted to our times. So it's not a kind of outbreak that you would, would have seen in 1800s. It's a very 21st century disease and you just cannot rely on washing your hands. You need this vaccine to survive a, a pandemic which is so dangerous that it's adapted to the modern times. So just try to see it in this most 21st century perspective. Go to the research on how vaccines have helped because I promise there are cases which have suggested that some medicines must have hurted people, definitely hurted people. They have been used in the wrong way, but the many, many vaccines that have been created after 10 years research have helped many lives greatly to a point that you and I are able to exist. If those diseases existed and vaccines meant nothing, there is a very good chance that many of these races would have been wiped out and many of us would not have even been here. Okay, and moving on to our next story. Cincinnati City Council on Tuesday voted down a proposed ban on vaccine passports, leaving the door open for private businesses to require their patrons to provide proof of COVID-19 vaccination. Republican Betsy Sunderman, who introduced the ban as a motion and became the only vote in its favor, argued it would provide clarity for Cincinnati companies considering vaccine passports requirements. Sunderman's proposed vaccine passport ban was a partial response to New York City's requirement that people show vaccine status there. Every other member of city council voted against the ban. Democrat Chris Sealback argued it didn't make sense to consider a ban on a policy that was not widespread within the city and had not been formally proposed within City Hall. No single vaccine policy is banned or enforced by state law in Ohio. Some individual venues and private businesses in Cincinnati, including the Taft Theater, Music Hall, and the Andrew J. Brady Icon Music Center, have instituted their own proof of vaccination policies, though. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? I have watched the world's reaction to um, cities or businesses that have required you prove that you've had the shot or you haven't had the shot. You know, in France, they, well, in Paris, they rioted because they couldn't go where they wanted to go. But the French were determined to get their people vaccinated and said, with this shot, the perk of a needle, you get to go here. 
And because of the increased numbers of COVID cases, they had to do something to save their economy, but at the same time, save people. And in a way, cut down the spread. I went to the Michelle Odego cello concert over the weekend and had to go through the, the, the check at Memorial Hall saying, you know, proving whether or not I had the vaccine or a COVID test saying negative. And, you know, the concert was sold out, but the concert was half filled. And I was in a row where I barely had anybody sitting in it with me. Other rows were filled. Um, and I'll just say that it's something that people either will get used to. Um, businesses can require um, certain requirements of their customers. And I see nothing wrong with it. Because at the end of the day, if you want to go out, you have to adhere to the policies, which we do already whenever we go out to a movie theater or any place or go into a retail store. There are certain things that you cannot do, like you can't bring in a drink, you can't bring in food. Um, you know, if they, you have to be of a certain age to order a certain drink. This is just another layer of that. And even though people don't like being told no, but the door is open to be told yes. You just have to walk through it. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Uh, well, two things. One, the it's still going to be a big fight concerning that what the uh, private companies and, and organizations uh, decide in terms of requesting uh, people to uh, verify if they've been vaccinated or not or anything like that. Because again, what a lot of people forget is that uh, you have rights to your privacy when it comes to your medical history. And uh, this, the underlying thing is that that's where the fight is really going to be. If they can require you to uh, tell your medical status on this, uh, what happens going forward. And I think that's going to be a fight there in itself. City Council, I think they did the right thing. It's so close to an election uh, time that it would not make sense for them to make a big move like that and, and jeopardize their status of being reelected. Uh, if you had brought this up maybe two months from now, month, two and a half months from now after the election, she may have gotten more people to vote with her. Ms. Uh, uh, Council Fundman uh, may have gotten more people to vote with her. But uh, again, it's been this close to the time for, for the election. I don't think that it would have been smart for any of the councils to make that stand. Uh, it's too big of an issue this close to jeopardize the possibility of uh, getting elected, especially when you still got 30-some people or so that are officially on the ballot and everything. So every every vote counts. Every vote counts, and you don't want to uh, step out there and do anything at this point that's going to jeopardize your candidacy. Suhana, your thoughts on this story? John, I feel it, I was kind of confused that even before vaccine passports were um, a, a normal thing in our lives. It was already being debated in the city council. But uh, I see uh, at least this brings the discussion of vaccine passports in the light. Um, I believe I'm in favor of it because I, though it's slightly inconvenient, but uh, at the same time, it guarantees some amount of um, discipline in, in the pandemic. 
discipline for safety and you know um we have most of the people have got vaccinations there are a few who have not um we can't uh, put up any we are at least in ohio they're not not trying to be any harsh on people except like asking them to wear masks at the most of the places but um if a vaccine passport is just another tight one step to ensure um more safer environment and i i believe that it should first of all start coming into existence at more frequently at a better structure and that's it for the top news topics of the week so now i want to hand over to andrea so we can talk about the main topic of the week which is african americans and alzheimer's so take it away andrea thank you john and um we have with us today um celine holmes who is the Multicultural Outreach Manager with the Alzheimer's Association of Greater Cincinnati. And she's here to talk with us today about African-Americans and Alzheimer's. Hello, Celine, how are you? I'm fine, thanks for inviting me. As an African-American, and we have family members who have either seen, suffered from Alzheimer's or had dementia or know of a friend who has suffered from this is this disease growing in the African-American community or not, or what? It is. African-Americans are twice as likely as any other group to suffer from this disease. And, you know, people often ask, what is the difference between dementia and Alzheimer's? And while they're related, they're not the same. And dementia is, is sort of like a broad uh, umbrella term for an individual's changes in memory, thinking, and reasoning. And the biggest cause of dementia is Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's disease, it makes up uh, 60 to 80% of all of the dementia cases. So I just wanted to clarify that. But African-Americans are suffering more and the reason is we have a high prevalence of diabetes in our group and a high prevalence of cardiovascular or heart problems, including high blood pressure. And then you have all the other risk factors like age, family history, and genetics. So we're, we're suffering and we need to be educated about this disease so that we can help our families um, who are affected. You're with the Alzheimer's Association and you're here to tell us about what we can do to help either fight or lessen the impact of this disease on our families. But what is your role and why is it important to you that we know about this? Well, my role is to educate and create awareness in the African-American community, the Hispanic Latino community, the, and the LGBT community and as well as women in general, because two thirds of all women have this disease also. And, you know, um, I have a personal connection to this disease and that my mother uh, had this disease and passed away at age 92 uh, with Alzheimer's. So having this job gives me a chance to help others because it is a difficult journey to take care of someone who has it. And when my mom had it, I was not at that time 
uh, as educated as I am now about the disease. I wish I had been, I wish I had known all of the free programs and services that the Alzheimer's Association offers. And we also offer support for caregivers. So it's, 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 a, it's about awareness and education. Is there anything that we can do in the black community to help prevent, or at least be more aware of the risk factors um, of the disease? People can participate in the many education programs that we offer. Uh, before the pandemic, we were doing most of them in person, but now we, we do some in person, but most on Zoom. Um, and other online platforms. But we have programs that deal, that help you deal with the person who might have the disease. Like some people have someone in their family. So they need to know what are the effective communication strategies? What, what is a person uh, like when they're <clears throat> living with Alzheimer's in the early stage? Um, and then we have general uh, brain health programs that teach you healthy living for your brain and body. And that's connected to the new research that is saying that if we change our lifestyles in terms of what we're eating and what we're doing, you know, like no smoking, no heavy drinking and eating more fruits and vegetables and exercising, this will slow this down and then we'll be less likely. Uh, unfortunately, one in three seniors uh, will have this disease, and that's across the board. But also knowing what the morning signs are. You know, everybody thinks that it's just memory. Well, it's not just memory. It's, you know, if you start to have problems uh, like challenges in solving problems or difficulty completing familiar tasks, like someone with Alzheimer's or dementia, say for instance, their favorite sandwich was a peanut butter sandwich, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they start to make the sandwich and they don't know how to put it together. They've forgotten that the peanut butter needs to be on the bread and all of that type of uh, confusion. Uh, and then there's also trouble with understanding visual and spatial relationships problem speaking, and then there's the misplacing things. And, you know, everybody misplaces something from time to time. But if we're normal, we can retrace our steps. Like, oh, I was in the living room and I put my purse down there. So let me, let me go back to the living room and see if it's there. But someone with the disease, they, they can't do that. They can't retrace their steps. And then the judgment becomes a problem, poor judgment. <clears throat> overrides the behavior, uh, which makes taking care of this person very difficult. And then there's other things like, you know, withdrawing from social activities and changes in mood and personality. But it's all about making ourselves aware. Do you find that um, because um, several, many members of the African-American community uh, don't like to talk about mental health, does that prevent them from seeking out information about dementia and Alzheimer's because they don't like to talk about anything um, that, that sort of might deem them weak or well, take care of themselves. Right, well, let's, let's um, clarify. Uh, Alzheimer's is not a mental illness. It is a disease. It's a degenerative disease. So there's a big difference. And, but I do understand there's a stigma about it. 
because, you know, people say, oh, that's just how grandma acts and she's been like that. And we just let her sit over there and be what she wants to be. But when this disease progresses in a person, their behaviors become very difficult for other people to handle, which is why they eventually have to go to some type of nursing facility. And a lot of facilities have memory care units there to help people with this problem. But you know, that's the work we're trying to do is to make people more comfortable with learning about it and talking about it and seeking the help. We have free services for families. Like you can get a family care consultation uh, where, where our nurses and social workers will guide you. We have uh, family support groups where you can come and talk about it with other people who are going through the same thing and you know, all the education programs that I mentioned. What would you ask the people who are listening today? What types of programs or where can they sign up for to attend the various programs that you have that are virtual? Yeah. Well, we, we would like for people to attend more and we need more black people and people of color to participate and utilize what we're offering. And uh, all of our programs on Zoom, you know, are on Zoom and we have, um, all other services, the care consultations and the support groups, all of that, uh, you can become a volunteer. And as a volunteer, you can become a community educator. So we like to have volunteers to multiply what we do in the community. So if you become a volunteer, you are trained and you can present the, you know, we have a package programs that are PowerPoints and um, you can, you can, utilize these at your church or in your organization, that kind of thing. And we have a 24-hour helpline that you can call any time of the day or night to sign up for these programs or to get help. And that number is 800-272-3900. And of course, you can go on our website at alz.org and all of that information is also there. But also, don't you have an, um, a walk coming up soon? We do. We can also um, have fun and get information at the same time. Right. The annual walk to end Alzheimer's is on October 2nd at Sawyer Point. It's going to be a hybrid situation because of the pandemic. Of course, it is an outdoor activity, but some people will be able to just walk in their neighborhood or do certain things online. But yes, that's uh, our largest fundraiser. Is it a 5K, a 10K? What, how long is the walk? We don't, we don't define it that way because it's not like a, a marathon walk. Well, we had 20,000 people in 2019 to do that oh, walk. And we do it all over the country. So, and there's walks in other cities around us, around Cincinnati as well. But they typically walk across the bridge and come back down. And, or people can walk as far as they want to. We don't have, you know, like a specification on how long. And there's, you know, all kinds of booths with information and vendors and music and food. But it'll all be done differently according to the CDC guidelines. Mm -hmm. We're very strict about that because we are a public health organization. Well, I thank you. Is there anything else that we should know before well, I go back to John? Well, if people don't want to call 800 number, um, you can call my office directly at 513-342-6306. And any information you share about your family and loved ones is confidential. So please contact us. Thank you, Celine, for joining us today. It's been most informative. Thank you. John? 
Thanks, Andrea. Uh, well, that was a very fascinating discussion. And I think we, well, I've certainly learned a lot about Alzheimer's during this uh, conversation. And I just want to thank you, Celine, for coming on and sharing your knowledge. No problem. I hope anyone who listens to this podcast and, you know, has a relative who has Alzheimer's will take your advice and definitely follow through on it. I also want to thank my guests, Andrea, Wade, and Suhana for talking about the top news topics of the week. I really uh, appreciate your uh, responses to them, guys. Thank you, John. Thanks, John. It's always nice to be here. Thank you so much, John. Make sure to check out the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiarrow.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph F. Booksellers, and at select service stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald podcast. Follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter and Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day.